This is LBC from Global, leading Britain's conversation. The best of Steve Allen. Morning, everybody. I hope your weekend has started well. I'm with you for the next couple of hours to ease you gently into your Saturday morning. In an hour's time, I'll be in conversation and I'll be telling you who I'll be talking to this week a little bit later on. Before that, I'll give you a chance to catch up on some of the best bits from the 4am spike this week. What do you mean you missed some of the programme? I expect a note from your parents or your doctor at the very least. So over the next hour, the best of Steve Allen. You'll hear what grabbed my attention over the past week from the massive stories we've all been reading and talking about to the barely Z-listers that we have to Google just to remember who they even are. Don't bother please texting, tweeting or emailing me about what you're having for breakfast, because I don't care, or what your favourite biscuit is. I couldn't care less at the best of times anyway. I'm Steve Allen and I'm with you until 7 o'clock this Saturday morning. So sit back, open your ears and enjoy the conversation. Vladimir Putin's new calendar. Uh, most of the columnists have said the same, same thing. A bit camp, isn't it? You know, for so-called president of Russia. I mean, the shirt-off malarkey. I mean, he, he's not swingy-swingy, is he? Or is there something we don't know about Vladimir Putin? I mean, I don't know. He takes his shirt off. He's been caught horse-riding bareback. You know, what does that tell you? Tells me a lot. Ever seen him with the wife? Me neither. Me neither. Have you ever seen the wife? Have you ever seen it? I don't even know what her name is. What's her name? Brian or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> I just think it's a, well, it's a very homoerotic picture. I'm surprised he's standing there with two, two car tyres in his hand. He just he's, he's in a river or in a bit of water. So it could be the bath. I'm not sure, actually. But um, he's, they're divorced. Kel Surprise. Kel Surprise. So, and her name was Ludmilla Putina. She's obviously a lot older than he is, and uh, she's uh, she's um, here. I mean, she was a flight attendant for Aeroflot. That's the that's the airline with the outside toilet. Have you ever been to on Aeroflot? The stewardess doesn't as much show you as a film as flick through a book, going, "Look, me on the beach in the Black Sea," and uh, we all go, "That's very exciting, isn't it?" And they're all all got fags on. Cigarettes, sorry, um, because you can't use the word fag in Russia because they're very anti-gay. Mind you, don't say it in front. I mean, mind you, the craze. Look at the craze. There was Ronnie Cray, camp as a Christmas tree, picking up little boys left, right and centre. Nobody said a blooming word to him. Oh, until that bloke he shot in the blind beggar. Old Cornell didn't come. He called Ronnie a big fat puff, which, of course, was accurate description. He was a big fat puff, but uh, nobody said it to him. But it is odd. One of the critics today, well, one of the one of the columnists was talking about Vladimir Putin and said, what's this with the shirt off thing? Yeah, it'd be like sort of me and Nick Ferrari doing a, a calendar for LBC with our shirts off. It ain't going to happen. I'm telling you now. Do you think that's what? Dave O'Brien's book. Does that feature him with his shirt off? Really? Yeah, I'm not sure about that one. I, think, I often said that we should do an LBC calendar and the presenters could all strip off. <laughs> I mean, no. You do it. Packet of peppermints, you'd be there straight away, Dad. Oh, I love this. Oh, I couldn't possibly do anything like that, just in case my parents see it or something like that. Nobody's going to see anything. We could hide you behind a very small holly bush. <laughs> or, a, or a Christmas tree. There's always one, isn't there? There's always one who's got to over-exaggerate. You know, there's me with a small poinsettia, and it never goes any further. Uh, if it's ever reported that Putin once drove a lorry with neon lights on it, says Ian in Warwick, thank you... <laughs> You'll be having visits from somebody with an umbrella. This is the best of Steve Allen on LBC. They're filming in Leicester Square at the moment. They're doing uh, it's uh, 
Jack Ryan 2. And I noticed this morning, actually, for the first time ever, they've got security down there guarding some of the equipment, you know, because it might walk. <laughs> so I walked up into the square and there are sort of two security men sitting there because they're filming at Steak and Co. down the road. And uh, three, three days. God knows what it costs. God knows what it costs. But uh, it's always so exciting. I always like watching stuff like that. And yes. Oh, yes. And there, there, there's a phone box as well. The other side of the road. But it's fake. It's, a, it's like made out of thin plywood. And it's on casters, which you can move it about if you want to make your phone calls. But they did this programme on the National Trust. And the reason I mention phone boxes is because they go around, and it's Waddiston Manor, which was owned by Frederick Rothschild. You can go around and have a look at some of the most beautiful things, including an elephant that's an automata. And it moves, and it was, it was made, I think, in the uh, late 1800s. And they go out into the grounds with Alan Titchmarsh, and they've got a tree and all the rest of it. And then by the side of the tree, you look at it and you go, what the dickens is that? And she said, what do you think that is? And Alan looked at it. It was like a little pipe sticking out of the ground. And she said, he had that put in. That's a telephone line. Nowadays, you've got mobile phones. So when you go out, you take your mobile phone. In those days, they all went and sat under the, under the tree and they plugged in the phone under the tree. They had it running all the way back to the house. It was terribly clever. Steve, regarding the hooker adverts in phone boxes... Uh, with the number, there's always a picture of a model looking like a, a contestant from Love Island. I imagine when making the appointment, they arrive to see somebody looking like Bella Remberg with no teeth, just waiting for the first court case where he sues for trade description. Somebody did sue, not prostitutes, but they went to a sex shop and they bought a film and they thought they were buying a hardcore pornographic film. When they got it home, they discovered it wasn't. They took them to court and won. They said, I'm sorry, you're selling this as hardcore pornography. I mean, to be honest with you, it goes to a sex shop nowadays. That's what the internet was invented for, wasn't it? You don't, you don't need to actually go out and embarrass yourself or the local corner shop. I'll, I'll take the um, Big Boobies magazine at the, at the top. Uh, was that Big Boobies April edition or May? Oh, oh, shh. Um, I don't mind. And, um, you know, Nuns on the Run, fairly popular one there as well. Do we have that one too? And yeah, I'll, I'll take both of those. Do you have, do you have um, little boobies? And, uh, OK, put that, uh, would you like a bag for that? Excuse me. Dad, how much are little boobies? Oh, God. Like going into the chemist, isn't it? Uh, <clears throat> like some... Calm down. Calm down. And the girl behind the counter is about 15. Get, sorry? Calm down. Calm down. Toothpaste. I'll take some toothpaste. And so you walk out. I've got more tubes of toothpaste than anything else. It's ridiculous, isn't it? And that's why. And that's why people get embarrassed about the whole thing, don't they? You know, Big Boobies magazine and stuff like that. And they used to be all on the top shelf. Well, nobody... I think all these magazines have given up now. Nobody goes and buys stuff like that, do they? Unless they're schoolboys who don't have a telephone. Phil in Stretton says, Soho Original Bookshop has nudie books downstairs. No. Really? Nudie books. I mean, you go to the internet. It always makes me, you know, sort of smile a little bit and people say oh you you keep saying all these nudie pictures are out there of sort of famous people you think well they're not in a book are they they're going to be on online what people have google for please show me steve allen's body parts you know and (laughs) up comes nothing at all i'm afraid i was working outside your place yesterday on a film in irving street was looking out for you when your show ended but you escaped says rob yes it doesn't take us long to escape because we have to catch a bus we have to catch a bus. I don't want to be plagued by loads of school children with blooming bags on the trains now. And I'm lucky where I live. I get loads of different trains. But, you know, I know that they're going to be all out there from seven o'clock this morning. So in less than, 
less than 45 minutes' time. Well, a little bit more than 45 minutes' time. There's going to be about 80 people down in Irving Street. It is Irving Street, isn't it, here? And they're going to be all doing this film. I don't know how long the actual thing will take when it's actually on the screen. I mean, you know, because they've been filming for three days. So it's a ten-part series. I don't know where, where the state place fits in. But there were loads of people. I mean, seriously, I've never seen so many people working on a film. What do they do? What do these people do? I mean, it, I mean, there literally must have been at least 80 people down in Irving Street pushing things around. A lot of people standing around. A lot of standing arounds. Are these, I mean, do they get paid all these people? I suppose they must do, really. But it's very worrying. Uh, Billy, with the bright red hair, is also working on the film in Irving Street. And it is a lot of standing around. 12 hours a day, to be precise, but I'm your biggest fan. Everybody always says that. They always say, I'm your biggest fan, Steve Allen. My mother's your biggest fan. That's what I get a lot of. My grandmother used to listen to you every day. And then she died with a big smile on her face. The best of Steve Allen on LBC. So Paul McCartney says he sometimes forgets Beatles hits. Well, you would. You would, wouldn't you? He's written so much stuff. Of course he's going to forget the Beatles hits. There can't be every single... The long and winding... The long and wind. The long. No, it's not working, is it, really? <laughs> when I get older, loses. No, when I get. The long and. No, you could be there for days, couldn't you? One of the concerts. So they have little televisions and they've got all the words on there. I was telling the producer, Hey Jude, yes. No, 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 no. Na 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 na, hey, oh, that's not my song. Hey hey hey, no, na na na. No, it must be nightmare when you've written so. Many, I mean, literally album after album. How can you be expected to remember all the blooming words? Heavens above, I have to remind myself who I am half the time. It's not easy. Leading Britain's conversation, the best of Steve Allen on LBC. Here is p p p p p p plastic. Penguin shortage has forced a zoo to fill the new enclosure with fakes. They can't find penguins. Wonder why not? There's loads. Of, I was seeing a television program the other day with David, what's his face, and 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 he went out to Antarctica, and there were hundreds and thousands of penguins. Hundreds, of, as far as the eye could see, penguins. And you think, well, how can't you find it? Are you not allowed to just go and take some? You're not take. Well, why not? The leopard seals don't have any problem in taking them, do they? And the sharks and all the other... Not sharks, but whales and stuff like that. But uh, And then they could have a nice life. They get fed. They've got them in London Zoo. Do they have to be bred in... Ca- it's a bit what? A bit warm? Well, they probably li- like it. They're only penguins. They just sort of... They don't do anything. They just sort of stand there and stare up to the sky. Very sad. Very sad. What was it the other day? They were looking at... Oh, a terrible story about... Um, I think it was a, a little wildebeest... And its mother died. Well, it didn't die. Its mother was crippled, fell on the ground, and all the hyenas piled in, ate it alive. And the little wildebeest would ultimately die because wildebeests don't pick up other wildebeests' children. That's a depressing thought, isn't it? This is LBC. Here, Steve Allen live. Every Sunday morning from five and Monday to Friday morning from four. Charles Aznavour has died at the age of 94. He was born to Armenian immigrants... Crafted his act in Nazi-occupied Paris, his biggest hit was She may be the first I can't forget. But he had loads of hits. He sold about 180 million albums. 
Um, some of them were very good. He did a great song years and years ago. It was almost a gay song, like a gay anthem, called What Makes a Man a Man. Each night I... And it's about a drag queen who works in a, in a bar in a, in a nondescript city in the world. And it's, he was, I thought he was excellent. I thought he had a lovely voice. But 94, what a good innings. He's, he sang with uh, Liza Minnelli. I think they'd also had a relationship. Uh, but I think he'd had quite a few. Is this, the, this is a she. This is from 19... Oh, good Lord above, I can't even tell you the year. 1974, this was his biggest hit. And this is a little clip of Charles Aznavour singing live on stage at one of his many, many concerts. She may be the face I can't forget A trace of pleasure or regret Maybe my treasure or the price I have to pay She may be the song that summer sings Maybe the chilled out autumn rings Maybe a hundred different things Within the measure of a day Lovely, isn't it, really? He's such a nice little man. I liked him. I liked him a lot. I loved all his songs. And uh, there's something about, you know, at one time I thought I wanted to be French. So I started smoking Gaulois and Gitans because I liked the smell of it. And I suddenly realized you've got all the bloody tobacco in your mouth. <laughs> that, was, that was not a good thing. But uh, Charles Asma, I don't remember half these words. I just, you may be the first, I can't forget. A little bit of vibrato going on there. A little bit like sort of listening to Anne Whittacombe just talking. You know, that's roughly the same kind of thing. He actually said, you know, somebody said, you know, how long are you going to keep going? And he said, well, as long as I keep going, I'm going to keep singing. Because he was over here at uh, 91. Herbert uh, Kretzmer, who saw him a couple of months ago, says he dropped into my house for a cup of tea and a chat. Uh, he always said, the day I stop is the day I drop. He sold, you know, he, he had lots, 180 million records. He appeared in more than 80 films. He was uh, married three times. I mean, he was the unlikeliest of, of sex symbols. He was a, he was a love pixie, apparently. Uh, his most famous song was She, written by uh, Herbert Kretzmer, who went on to write the lyrics to Les Miserables, covered by Elvis Costello. She was the theme song for the film Notting Hill with Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant. Still a good film. Uh, his father was a Russian actor and his mother was a Turkish singer, but they had to work as a cook and a seamstress to earn a living. And Charles left school at nine because his father couldn't pay the bills. And um, uh, Charles Asnor and his family hid Jews and a number of people during the uh, during the war. Uh, people who were persecuted by the Nazis. Amazing. So a year ago, he and uh, Ada received the Raoul Wallenberg Award for their wartime activities, offering shelter to Armenians, Jews and others at their own risk. See, a star, an absolute star. And you just thought it was Schindler. No, there were other people who were doing their bit. Loads of other people, loads of other people, too numerous to mention. Is Engelbert Humperdinck still alive, says Duncan? I bloody well hope so, yes. He represented Britain in Eurovision a few years back. He's 82. 82 is Engelbert, and I had dinner with him in Austria. He, he's a bit, because over on the continent, he's known as Engelbert. Only Engelbert. Over here, Engelbert Humperdinck, abroad, Humperdinck, is, uh, is a composer. So that's why he's Engelbert. OK. And uh, and he, he'd wanted to go to have a, a typical Austrian meal. And so because I was working on the radio out there, we uh, I went over there. I think there was only about three or four of us British people. So I sat next to him. We were chatting about where he lived and he's had a house in Vegas, which was uh, the Pink Palace owned by Jane Mansfield. He used to rent it out. He used to have a hallway, apparently the size of a football pitch. 
That's how big the houses are, which is uh, amazing. So, yes, he's still alive. And he's got a Christmas album coming out this year. Wow. Cliff's... It's called what? Good Lord. What sort of song? Has it got a list of songs on it? Is it is it traditional? Is it trad album? Has it got the usual, you know, Let It Snow, Let It Snow, I'm a one with the wind and the sky. Can be new songs. Woof. 82 and still going. Still touring. Seriously. Mind you, so is Tom Jones. Both both still going, actually. And when I... Oh, I can't remember how the words of the song go now. Nothing rhymed. Gilbert O'Sullivan. I loved it. I thought he was fabulous. What a clever act. What a clever act. Were you a fan of James Last? Yes, big fan of James Last. Oh, that's it. This is the uh, Please Come Home for Christmas. Oh, look. Driving Home for Christmas. Alexa, play Driving Home for Christmas. Thank you. Uh, I'll be home for Christmas. Snowy Christmas. Uh, winter. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Everywhere you go. Oh, Tannenbaum. I like that one. Oh, Tannenbaum. Oh, Tannenbaum. Oh, Tannenbaum. There's some new ones in some... Cla- Silently Falls the Snow. That's You can imagine that, can't you? You look out the window and then there's that... There's my favourite song. I, I played it to myself the other day and it's Dolly Parton doing me and... Did we play that on the show the other day? Dolly Parton's Me and Little Andy, which is... It's a, it's a Christmassy type song... And it's it's so pretty, but it doesn't get the plays that it should do. Me and Little Andy by Dolly Parton. And it's it's one of those pretty, pretty songs. Uh, uh, Barney says, Charles Asnall, French or Spanish? Armenian. <laughs> Which is easier. To rem- have you found it? Oh, right. So we have a little bit of Dolly Parton. This is Me and Little Andy. Late one cold and stormy night, I heard a dog bark. That's such a pretty song, and she sings it so well, but at the end, okay, the kid and the dog die. I'd better tell you that. It's country, come on, that's what happens in country songs. It's either that or you get run over by a truck, you know, and you're just about to get married. And she does this little, little girly voice. And the, and the closing line is, you know, God knew little Andy, and so they took them both to heaven. And it was so cute. It's, so, it's such a pretty, pretty, every time I see her singing it, I always think, that is such a pretty song. And I like it. And then she's got this strange bit here that goes giddy up. Which is, you listen to this little, just this little bit here. I'll just play you this bit. Okay. Fear not, we're not turned. Here we go. Seriously, I could weep buckets watching that. It's odd. I just need to see her standing there with the snow coming down because that's what the song's all about. It's, uh, there was um, a film out years ago and it was called The Night They Gave Away the Children. And did you ever see... What's the biggest weepy going? My friend Ian will know this. It, it came up with different names of the film, but I knew it as The Night They Gave Away the Children. And it's about a couple who go and settle in mid-America. And they've got the children, and I think there's about seven of them or something like that. And, um, and sadly, the husband dies. 
in an accident, and so it's left to the mother to bring up the children. And then, without putting too fine a point on it, she dies as well. She goes ill, so you're left with the children. So the oldest children are left to bring up the youngest children as well. And they suddenly realise that they, they can't do it. It's just not physically possible. So in the middle of the winter, the snow's coming down, they decide that they have to give away the children to make sure that the children stand a very good chance of surviving. It's the most beautiful film ever. It's very difficult to get hold of. If you can get hold of it, get hold of it, because it's the night they gave away the children. I think that's all the kids or something. Like that. Anyway, whatever it is, it, it was beautiful. And he goes round and he traits through the snow. And he goes, please, will you look after my sister? And <laughs> so sad. And so there's all these couples, you know, childless couples, some of them, and they don't, uh, they don't have any children. They said, yes, we'll look after. He says, thank you. And then, you know, once he's got rid of one, one child, then he has to go on to the next house to get rid of another child. And in the end, it's a case of all the children are being looked after by somebody. So they, they've achieved that. It's really touching. It's a, it's a typical bit of Hollywood schmaltz, and I fall for it every time. Lorraine says, the film is Who Will Love My Children. No, 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 it's, no, it's not. The film is called All Mine to Give. That's right, that's the US title. The Day They Gave Babies Away. Made in 1957. Little Julie says perhaps Engelbert will be available for an in-conversation to chat about his new Christmas album nearer the time. Ooh. Do you know, I've, I've, I'm waiting. I'm just waiting for confirmation for John Bon Jovi uh, because uh, I've been promised a conversation with him, which I'm looking forward to. Unfortunately, he's still stuck in America, so I'm, I'm still waiting on that, but it's, uh, it's lovely. Stephen in Montpellier says, My wife is a purser on Air France. During her 18-year career, she often carries celebrities in first or bit. Well, she mustn't get a trolley. Don't carry celebrities on. It's ridiculous. Sorry to disappoint you, but one of the uh, rudest and objectionable stars was Charles Aznavour. His agent always bought him business class, and he insisted on being upgraded to first because he was famous. Well, you see, I mean, I'd, listen, I would do the same. If I was Charles Aznavour, who'd sold 180 million, you know. I taught my niece Treasure that song when she was a very little girl. She used to sing the Andy parts. Giddy up, Charlie Horse, gone to the moon. Can we stay all night? If you don't, look, if someone will. It's char- <laughs> so exciting. Uh, when I was 16, says Joe in Heathrow, I worked as a cleaner. One day, Engelbert walked into the departure lounge with four minders. I got close and asked him for his autograph for my sister. We sat down and uh, bought me a cup of tea. We chatted for about ten minutes. Top man. Top man. I'm very surprised he's got minders. He doesn't need minders. He, he can wander from country to country. Uh, Jan says, you know what happens if you play country and western records backwards? The wife comes back, the dog comes back to life, and it stops raining. I know. It's an old one, isn't it? But it's good. But everybody dies. And at the end of, you know, me and little Andy, God takes little Andy and uh, and they both go to heaven, little doggy heaven. That was an old Victoria Wood sketch, wasn't it? She had a woman there, sitting there, doing uh, listeners' letters. Oh, here's a letter from little Mary. Little Mary says, do doggies go to heaven? No, they don't. <laughs> that, was, that was it. And can I have two bunny hops? No, you can have one. I'm not fat, I'm a Whitbread. Uh, when I was lucky enough, says Duncan, to see Dolly at Wembley some years ago, she thanked everybody for buying the expensive tickets. Costs a lot of money to look this cheap. Sings like a bird. Proper legend and does loads for charity. Yes, she does. She's, I mean, she's getting on a bit now, for goodness sake. But she still, she still maintains, still does loads of concerts every year. It's, there's this, it's, it's like you look at David Copperfield. He's still working, I think, the MGM in, in Vegas. Still working it. And you think to yourself, you know, he doesn't need the money. 
but there's something that people have to work, isn't it? Like Engelbert Humperdinck, like Tom Jones, all these people of a certain age that, that go on working because they love doing it. You can't help it. Leading Britain's conversation. The best of Steve Allen on LBC. English National Opera. If you're going to the ENO, that's what they call it, ENO, uh, they're banning bringing water bottles in. Apparently, the OKR types, OK, that's uh, Felicity and Sebastian, uh, they, they, they apparently empty out the water, you know, like one does, and we fill it with vodka. And so the ENO have gone, you're not bringing booze. I mean, to be honest with you, that is not to say that you need to be a bit tiddled to watch the ENO. But it's, it's quite useful on some particular shows where you say, I have a little drinky poos. Yeah. I mean, you don't think at the Royal Variety performance, Charles and Camilla and all the other ones are sitting up there without a bevy in front of them. I mean, you can see old Harry sticking his hand down, can't you? A little fumble around. And then, you know, then he pours his boot. Yeah, little drinkies. You know, last act was rubbish. You know, and that's what... People, but the ENO, they do it. So they're confiscating water. So if you're going to the ENO tonight, you have to... to don't, don't take in a water bottle. Or if you are, stick it in your pocket. But I have a feeling they might do a rub down. Do you think they'll do a search? Fantastic. I'm going to go to there. That's the place to go to. If you haven't had anything for ages, you know, the chance of being touched. Whoopee! I know some people wouldn't enjoy that kind of thing. But, you know, when you get to my age, you're grateful for anything. Somebody brushing up against you in Oxford Street is tantamount to a relationship, as far as I'm concerned. So the very idea of actually getting on sort of the E&O and they go, OK, we're just going to have a little pat down. Go round twice, me. I'm just going to go to the toilet. And you rush round the back and then you come in the front door again. Have we just seen you? I don't think so, no. A brilliant idea. So don't take water because they're going to empty it out in front of you. They they composite. They do that though. That that's quite normal at um, concerts and things like that. They want you to buy their water, and I'm I'm assuming you can probably buy water inside, but you're not bringing it in. I always take water whenever I go to. They blame it on security, but I always take water and a packet of uh, Frutellas because you've got you know you've got to have something to munch on, haven't you? <laughs> and uh, and said, so, but I wouldn't take booze in. I mean, was, I mean, I know that young children, school children, on a Saturday evening, you can find all sorts of half-empty bottles around Twickenham and everywhere else, which have quite clearly had booze in. They've either put Bacardi in there or something, and then they just put Coca-Cola in, and uh, and that's it because they have drink problems. Connie says, be careful at the Royal Albert Hall. You're not allowed to bring water in. They found a small bottle of water in my handbag. When I showed them all the tablets I have to take, they said no more about it. And my son's still happy to set up the TV for free of charge. Thank you. I'm going to manage it today. Don't worry. It's going to happen today, he says. I got home yesterday. I thought, I'll do it today. I thought, I can't be bothered. <laughs> I'd rather lie down. And I had a, had a nice lie down. And then I did my invoice because they have to be in today. So I did that. Always make sure that goes in. I'm not stupid. And, uh, and then I thought, well, I'll do it today. This is the best of Steve Allen on LBC. The new seasonal flavour. Christmas tree flavoured crisps. We think they're somewhere. We don't know where they are. Somebody left it. Where did they come from? Did somebody send them in? Very exciting. Very exciting. So we're going to try on the programme this morning. <laughs> Christmas tree flavoured crisps. Why not? Oh, that's nice, isn't it? Oh, look. Christmas tree flavoured crisps. Oh, look. With your name on it. Please leave for Steve Allen. Luxury. Luxury, if you please. And it says here festive flavour. They're from Iceland. Good Lord above. Sorry, I'm very noisy on the programme this morning. And so what have we got? We've got potatoes, sunflower oil, pine salt flavour, seasonings, and flavouring of pine oil. Should we open it? You have to bear with me on this one. It doesn't, it doesn't smell of Christmas trees. Wait a minute. This is honestly the things you have to do on radio. Wait a minute. 
You don't like slurping, you won't like this bit at all. I'm not sure if it tastes like a Christmas tree. I've never eaten... The stupid thing is, I've never eaten a Christmas tree, so how would you know? I'm not sure about this one at all. This is a very odd one. I'm not sure if the word luxury should be taken to the Trade Descriptions Act. No, we didn't have high hopes. This. I mean, they're actually quite nice quality crisps. If they'd been roast chicken, I'd have been happier. I'm not sure whether or not Christmas tree flavour salted hand-cooked crisps is, is right. It's got a nice picture on the front of a bit of a Christmas tree and... so I'm dribbling. And some fake snow. But because I don't know what a Christmas tree tastes... I know what they smell like. But, um... Peter says, if they're from Iceland, leave some for Darren Adam. He won't eat them. Seriously, I mean, I've... I've so... Oh. What's all that? I don't think... I don't think they taste like a Christmas tree. I really don't. I'm not... Sorry, Iceland, I'm not totally convinced by this one. <laughs> but people will buy them, because you'll, you'll put them out and people will go, oh, what's that? And you get Christmas tree flavour. And then somebody will say, Steve Allen tried them, and he said it didn't taste like a Christmas tree at all. Because I don't think they do. I don't know what they taste of, but it's not, not Christmas tree. <laughs> I've got them stuck in my fillings. <laughs> oh, no. The best of Steve Allen on LBC. Sorry. Ugh. Didn't taste like Christmas tree at all. You know, if it's if it doesn't, does it? You see, I, I mean, I don't, we don't tell fibs about this. I mean, to be honest with you, I'd rather roast chicken. Eat roast chicken. Roast chicken crisps or bacon or whatever they do. You're going to try and palm that off on the news desk. They won't eat it. They've heard the show. Oh, I've told... Oh, sorry. All oh, right. Oh, anyway, so uh, going off to get a cup of tea... <laughs> Leading Britain's conversation. The best of Steve Allen on LBC. Who did you palm it off on? Who did you get? They're not impressed. Oh, God, honestly, there's no pleasing them, is there, really? You'd think they'd be really happy with something like a free gift on a Friday morning. This is the best of Steve Allen on LBC. The BBC are axing Floggit after 17 years. Thank God for that. Apparently, it's to bring you a better shows. They've got six new shows coming in, and it's going to be really... So, obviously, they're saying that Floggit was a pile of old pants. And, and it is... It is a pile of old pants, but unfortunately, the bloke who fronts it, which makes it a pile of old pants, uh, as opposed to finding a better, younger presenter, as opposed to some poor old geriatric on there, uh, but they've still got loads in the can, unfortunately, so you'll be seeing it for ages and ages. And uh, they're going to put other programmes in, but don't worry, because Paul Martin's going to be back with another creepy programme. It's going to be an antiques quiz. Well, we've already got one. We don't need any more, thank you very much indeed. But, of course, the BBC are never known to be sort of stuck in the field with the rest of the heffalumps. But the reason they, they've, they've done it, the BBC daytime chief, Dan McGolfin, they seem to have loads of people in positions that you've never heard of him before in your life, and I haven't, uh, and says, uh, now and again we reach a time to move on. That could be you, Dan. That could be you. He says here, the ideas we have are modern, lots of fun and hugely relevant to people. So, in other words, flog it doesn't fit into any of those categories. It's not relevant to anybody. It's not entertaining. And it's not modern. It's an old-fashioned piece of rubbish television. It probably costs an arm and a leg to put out. There'll be a whole team of people. But don't worry, the BBC will carry on employing them because they love wasting your money. Uh, the best thing about flog it is Paul Martin. He's really sexy. Are we talking about the same dipstick who wears those dated 1930s suits on there? Who wears corduroy? Come on! 
unless you've got some sort of strange predilection with corduroy. Very odd. Nobody likes Paul Martin. He used to put his arms round people. And I used to go, it'll be a case. It'll be a case. Get your hands off them. And so, anyway, so are we looking forward to seeing how much this makes? Get your hands off them. And then he went on. Did he go on, um, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, or one of those big brothers or something like that? Whatever it was. He had about as much personality as a plank. But these dreadful outfits. Who wears a red or a blue suit? Or a green suit or everything else. They've obviously got to make some some mark on television to go, ah, oh, that's something. It's like, you know, people, I don't know, wearing red trousers and blue trousers and pink trousers and green trousers. It's like being dressed by cordons, isn't it, from start to finish. But uh, Paul Martin definitely went on a, a reality show. Shame it wasn't, uh, wait a minute. So he's uh, born in, oh God, he was not born in Teddington, was he? He's 59. Uh, street auction, trust me, I'm a dealer. Um... He was educated at Falmouth University. He's only ended up as a TV presenter. They don't, make, they don't teach you antiques at Falmouth University, do they? So, in other words, he's only ended up exactly the same as anybody who does. And here comes the train. It's about, about the same kind of level. I'm sure he... T- but anyway, he's, sort of, he's one of these sort of people. He's been on trading places. And uh, you're not going to lose him. He comes back with a quiz, a quiz about antiques. Oh, look, what's this? It's a phone. I told you years ago, a friend of mine, well, it's my auntie, actually. Well, it's my grandmother. And um, she got a note through her, her letterbox saying that uh, the Antiques Roadshow are in her area. And if you've got anything, call this this number and they, they will pop round and give you a quick valuation. If they like it, they will then take it to the Antiques Roadshow and they'll film it. So, of course, she, she phoned up. Hello, she said, because she's quite old. And uh, she, I've, I've got a, an, an antique. It, it, it's been in our family for as long as I can remember. And uh, and they said, well, can you, can you put it in the sitting room? I said, well, I'll try. Quite big and quite, quite heavy. And she said, but it's been, been in the family for ages and ages. So she, anyway, on the appointed day, the Antiques Roadshow knock on the door. And there they are, a couple of butch men and a fairly camp bloke. And... Um, and because there always is, isn't there, on every programme. <laughs> the, the trick is trying to work out which one. And and then they, so they go in there and she says, it's, I don't know what it is. It's been here for ages and ages. They looked at it and they look at her and they go, you don't know what it is? And she goes, no. What is it? They said, it's your water tank. She brought the water tank down from upstairs again. Anyway, she flooded the upstairs. House had to be demolished and she's been rehoused by the council. So everybody fairly pleased with the, with the answer. Because she, I mean, frankly, she hadn't been out in the garden for ages and ages. Chris in Lancashire says the concept of flog it was ridiculous. Contestants buy from a dealer who bought the item from an auction. The dealer sticks profit on it. Then the contestants take it back to the auction, expect to make money. How odd. Don't you think it's funny, though, when they go, listen, we've only got £15. It's marked up at £65. Is there any way you could do it for 20 and they go, oh, I can't do 20, 22. You think, how much profit are these people working on? The answer is rip-off merchants, rip-off merchants. A friend of mine, well, not really a friend, sort of an acquaintance. Well, not even an acquaintance, really. Just somebody I passed in the street once and uh, brushed up against them on a bus. And they, they used to go to France to go to all these markets, buy tat furniture, bring it back and distress it. And then they'd sell it. And people would pay, seriously, something that costs them like 20 or 30 quid, they'd pay £400 for, for distressed furniture. Because for some reason, we're into shabby chic. That's why this programme's so successful. I am shabby chic. I am the sort of person. I'm not good looking. I'm not, I'm not good looking enough to be a, a model. 
Not like some of the presenters in this uh, bill. Some of them are very young. Some of them are very good looking. I mean, they're not all good looking. There are some ugly ones there. They know who they are. I don't need to tell you their names. And uh, and then I'm I'm sort of kind of caught in the, in the middle of the devil in the deep blue seat. This is LBC. Here, Steve Allen live every Sunday morning from five and Monday to Friday morning from four. It's interesting as uh, this morning celebrate thirty years, and you suddenly realise. I mean, you're familiar with Holly Willabooby. Uh, Pip Schofield, Ruth Langsford and uh, Eamon, where's the sofa gone, Holmes. But it always provided interest when they switched up with a guest presenter. So they've tried Amanda Holden, Christine, how are you, Bleakley, Ryland Clark, Neil and Ben Shepherd. And, uh, but, you know, Ben, unfortunately on television a little bit too much at the moment, but they do have other people. How many of these do you remember? Uh, back in, I think about 2001, six years before the infamous uh, interview. I'm sorry, are you an alcoholic? What are you talking about? That was Kerry Katona and Brian McFadden. That'll be Brian banned from driving at the moment, so can't be with Westlife, unfortunately. I'm sure they're eternally grateful. Do you remember Patrick Kilty, who teamed up in 2012 with Emma Willis? Patrick, sort of, who looks about 15 years old, but in fact he is a lot, uh, a lot uh, older. Although a lot of people are wondering what made the producers throw them together. Well, sometimes it works, but as I've always said to you, the one thing about double headings on television programmes is it's very difficult to work with somebody you don't know. So then they put Twiggy and Colleen Nolan together. And uh, that was in, that was again in 2000. It only lasted a few months before they were axed. Uh, it seems to be an occupational hazard for poor old Colleen, doesn't it, really? Fat, thin, fat, thin, thin, fat again. And bullying. And now not on the programme. But she is coming back. When? I've got no idea. Jamie Thigston uh, did it. Uh, presenting with uh, with his Emma Bunton, because they now present on the radio as well. They were both in tears the other day. They were doing for Make Some Noise. He's doing all these, uh, this, this walk. He must be exhausted, honestly. But he's obviously a lot fitter than, than I thought he was, because I can't do anything like that. Tim Vincent hosted with Kate Garraway in 2005. Tim Vincent, on it's sickeningly good-looking. Seriously, sickeningly good-looking. Uh, then there was Denise Van Outen and uh, Richard Bacon, and uh, he was on there as well. He, it didn't kind of work, actually, but they had had experience of doing early morning television separately. Michael Ball and Sarah Cox, uh, which was an interesting one, and because um, that was the very first time that they were able to say, ladies and gentlemen, we give you Cox and Ball. OK. And, oops, we lost it. Uh, who else came along? Who else came along? Mylene Class actually managed to do it with her clothes on. Bit of a rarity in this day and age, because most of the time in this building, she's stark naked. She will be for Make Some Noise. And uh, also Jeremy Kyle. Unfortunately, Jeremy Kyle, it just doesn't work. They've tried him on everything. It just does not work. His sort of approach, look at me. Look at, excuse me, I'm Susanna Reid. I run this programme. Look at me. Where'd you get that tattoo from? Sorry? Are you the mother of that child? Oh, dear, you can imagine. So there was no chance of warm. He just, he can't do it. He's stuck into his groove. Andrea Catherwood uh, did it with Paddy McGuinness. They did a couple of episodes. That was more than enough. Matthew Kelly did it, stepping in for Richard and Judy. Well, probably Richard, Judy had wandered off with the Pixies by that time. Uh, with Sarah Kennedy. Uh, also... Uh, what was the other one? Nigel Havers and Lisa Snowden. Do you know she's much taller than he is? I think he might be doing pantomime at the Palladium this year. It might be, I'm not too sure. Uh, Amanda Byram. You might not know Amanda Byram, but she was with Jake Humphrey. 
Now, you won't know who he is either. He, he does some sporting. If you're not into sport, you won't know who he is at all. And Amanda Byram was Patrick Kilty's ex-girlfriend. And Nigel Havers is doing snow work. He said, I'm never wrong. It's uncanny. Uh, also, Marvin and Rochelle Humes. That was, uh, hello? Hello? That'll be Rochelle. Lovely couple. Weren't exactly the most thrilling of presenters, says the person here. Molly King and Mark Wright. He's about as wooden as Sherwood Forest. And she can't... I'm sorry. Just, you know, pushing your boobs out and smiling, dear, is not a presenter. OK, just thought I'd tell you that now. And uh, another one here. All these people have presented. I mean, you know, it's just unbelievable, isn't it? But uh, this morning... It's going to be honoured with a special award by BAFTA for its contribution to television. And how much are the presenters worth? I tell you, who's the worst one on there. She does the soap operas. She's really dreadful. Used to be on here, actually, some years ago. She's the only woman I know on television. She can open bottles with her teeth. Seriously. She opened a bottle with her teeth. She did it on the uh, on the programme once. I remember thinking, good Lord above, there's a trick and a half that you don't want to see. Uh, plus, this morning's viewer was in tears as they admitted feeling nostalgic watching 30-year history in one-off documentary. Are you mad or something? In tears? Lord above. I mean, Philip Schofield came. Viewers sobbed as they remembered how the daytime show had helped them through their lives. What? I mean, I can understand it on this programme, not on this morning. Really. Apparently, they, they felt nostalgic. And uh, Philip Schofield appeared on the anniversary show. He was very young at one time. Now he's just another white-haired old man, uh, which is... They didn't mention the weatherman, no. They didn't, no, they didn't. But they, but, they, but Richard and Judy look back on launching the show as they reveal the celebrities whose careers started on there. Simon Cowell, Charlotte Church, Carolina Hearn. Actually, Charlotte Church's career was masterminded by, you know, the one, the biggest agent in, in town. Masterminded by, uh, by him. And, uh, and so that's why. I mean, he was the one who sort of took her. And then you get Ruth. Ruth doesn't seem to have changed at all. Eamon, of course, has changed dramatically, mainly sideways. But uh, she hasn't changed at all. They've been doing it for decades. She just looks right. Uh, Fern, of course, I thought was the best one. I thought Fern just made me laugh, laugh, laugh. Jonathan Shallot is the man who got the OBE. He was the one who turned Charlotte's career around. I mean, literally, he turned... That's an old picture. Jonathan, get it changed on Wikipedia. It's a very... He's lost a ton of weight. Seriously, a ton of weight. And um, somebody said, we just spent the last hour laughing and crying. Best daytime programme. Well, there isn't anything else on. What else is on? On daytime on the television. Wait a minute, what else have you got? Have a think about it. You've got Jeremy Vine. That's not very exciting, is it, really? That's just another... It's exactly the same as it was last time. Uh, Victoria Derbyshire, that's sort of typical BBC twaddle. You know, trying to do deep and meaningful and we really care about you, which is about as boring as it gets, I'm afraid. So I can't see that uh, not doing well in the, in the ratings. Though they'll probably tell you, on the overnights, we did really, really well. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Uh, it's all deep and meaningful, but terribly expensive. But there again, it should be. You're paying for it. Uh, bring back the big breakfast, says Scott the Cabby on Channel 4 with Chris Evans and, and Gabby Logan. Was it Gabby? No, it wasn't Gabby Logan. No, no, it wasn't Gabby Logan. I think she might have done it. No, Chris Evans did it with... Oh, I can't remember what her name is now. That'll come to me in a moment. Gabby Roslin, thank you. Her husband appeared in um, Hair, the musical, down at the Old Vic. Because people went along to see what, what she was missing in life. And judging by what he was exhibiting, quite a lot, I'm afraid. But also Zig and Zag. Zig and Zag were there. But mind you, who was it who saved... It was... Um, what glove puppet was it who, who saved TBAM? No, it wasn't Gordon the Gopher. That was uh, that was 
Pip Schofield's pride and joy. That's why he made so much money, Pip Schofield. He owned Gordon the Gopher. They didn't make the same mistake with Andy Crane. But Roland Ratt was brought in to TVAM. I can't even remember how he got... Yeah! It was a bit like that. A bit sort of leery. But a, a puppet turned a show around, because up until then it was as boring... You watched the first episode of, uh, of TVAM. Hello, we are TVAM. And they had the egg cups in Camden all round the top of the building. Biggest pile of rubbish you've ever seen. It was all these presenters who individually were very good, but on the television it was like watching a timber yard. It was just full of blank... Oh, it was awful. It was so, so dreadful. Um, I think uh, Tom Daly, it says Annie, would be good on this morning as a stand-in presenter. I lo- have you seen his little videos, which he does online with his husband? I like those. I think they're really cute, actually. I think they, they, they see- it seems to work. Uh, CJ says, uh, I agree with you. load of rubbish the Victoria Darber show is. I just sort of think it's, it's sort of trying to find something that they think is deep and meaningful. I'm sure it's lovely. It's just, if you want to watch television at that time of the morning, you're looking for light end. You don't want anything like that. That's much later in the day, I think. And um, somebody says that I started working on uh, Blue Peter the week after Richard uh, Richard Bacon left, and it was very surreal. Nobody mentioned a thing. I don't know why. They made a big bit. What do you mean nobody mentioned a thing? They did it on the BBC television. We're here to tell you why Richard Bacon isn't on the programme. He's a cokehead. Hello? You know, and we can't have something like that, irrespective of so many other people on the BBC going through exactly the same thing. I don't know why nobody mentioned it. Why would nobody mention it? They they did a public apology on the programme. They did a public apology. I'm terribly sorry Richard Bacon's not here. He's been caught snorting cocaine. And I'm sort of going, that's a bit tragic, isn't it, really? If you enjoyed this podcast, listen to Steve Allen live from 4am Monday to Friday and Sunday from 5am.